So yeah, you may be looking at me saying, he looks tired. Well, not actually as tired as I was last time I preached. I played a gig the night before and only had two hours sleep. <clears throat> but my reason for looking a little fatigued doesn't have to do with the start of a new term, though I do teach at colleges now. It actually has to do with a new addition to the household, a tiny, rather cheeky Yorkshire Terrier puppy. My wife, with all the best of intentions, thought this, this new ball of energy would help me take my mind off my recent operation. I had my gallbladder out. The day before, Buddy, as we've named him, was picked up. <clears throat> now, I'm sure there are some of you here who are dog people, some of you who are cat people, and others who perhaps at one time had a hamster <laughs> or a goldfish, but didn't like to be tied to the more demanding animal or a snake. Yes, now that's certainly demanding. For those who have never looked after an eight-week-old puppy, it is quite demanding. The thing about dogs is that they mirror some of the early developmental stages of us as humans. They just stop around the two- or three-year-old mark. Of course, never being able to speak, although, trust me, a Yorkshire Terrier can bark. But understanding you to a fashion what you're saying. When we first got Buddy, he was a frantic ball of energy. He chewed anything that was stationary, chased anything that moved, and when he caught it, he chewed it. Everything is new, everything is exciting. He tore around the room as fast as his tiny legs could carry him. A ball, then a chew, then a ball. Whilst his name is Buddy, at times we thought it should have been nobody. You could almost hear this little puppy saying, I'm not a nobody. Oh. Anyway, he'd chew shoelaces, clothes, wires, anything really. So you have to keep correcting him. You can't eat that, don't chew this, don't chew that. So that was a bit similar to um, perhaps the Old Testament times, the early church, if you think about it. Let's hear of our first reading from Leviticus. And it's kind of appropriate um, that Pam is doing this, and she looks after the kitchen, as, as, we'll, as we'll see. reading is Leviticus 11 verses 1 to 25 entitled clean and unclean food the Lord said to Moses and Aaron say to the Israelites of all the animals that live on the land these are the ones you may eat you may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud there are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof but you must not eat them the camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, 
though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is, uncle- it is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among all the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat. You must regard their carcasses as unclean. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. These are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they are unclean. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe and the bat. All flying insects that walk on all fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. There are, however, some flying insects that walk on all fours that you may eat, those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. Of these, you may eat any kind of locust, cricket, cicada or grasshopper. But all other flying insects that have four legs, you are to regard as unclean. You will make yourselves unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must wash their clothes, and they will be unclean till evening. Yes, and if you eat any of those, you won't get your five-star rating. So there are a lot of rules there. Different species that the Israelites can eat, and lots and lots and lots of them that they can't. Perhaps the most famous is the pig. But only when you read through this list do you realize that rabbits are on there too. So, why was this the list? Well, some of it's almost certainly hygiene, but not all of them. We know, for example, that leaving ham out on a warm day and then eating it later is a recipe for food poisoning. So God is certainly protecting the Israelites from ill health. But the same with our little tiny dog. Don't eat electric cable, eat grapes, chocolate, onions, however tasty they may be. Some of them just don't, but some of them are on the list, which aren't from hygiene point of view. In the same way as we try to teach our little buddy that he should not chew shoes, but can chew a chew that looks like a shoe, (laughs) made of the same material which is probably a bit confusing for his tiny brain. God also tells the Israelites that there are all sorts of categories of animals which they must not eat, including...
including, rather mystifyingly, insects with four legs. Think about that for a minute. Insects with four legs. To be an insect, it has six legs. But anyway, they can eat such delicacies as locust. Okay, um, and in case you're at a loss for Sunday lunch, here we go. So, so this, this is a recipe for, uh, you need 25 locusts for this, and about two litres of vegetable stock, a little turmeric added to it. Throw the locusts into a boiling stock hole. Cook for three minutes. Drain the locusts. Let them cool somewhat. Twist off their heads. Pull out the black thread-like viscera. Remove the wings and the small legs, four of them, I suppose. Make a seasoned flour with four tablespoons, any flour, three quarters of a teaspoon of salt, a little pepper, a little chili, a shake of ground coriander, a bit of garlic. Roll the pre-cooked locusts in beaten whole egg. Roll them in seasoned flour. Shake off the flour. Fry in olive oil for one and a half minutes until it turns golden brown. Serve with a lemon sauce. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> The, the end of the recipe says, crunch and enjoy. Well, um, so why does God give these confusing commandments? Well, there are two reasons, maybe. First, that God wanted the Israelites to be entirely separate from other religions. So that means that anything that had been used as an idol in some of the ancient religions was seen to be unclean. In addition, God was also, in a sense, saying that they should only eat things which are pure themselves. You'll notice that there are quite a few carnivores on the list, lots of owls. And uh, it's thought that the list is based on what was seen to be pure breads and breeds of animals from Genesis, which are plant eaters like sheep. So anything that falls outside this standard is seen to be unclean. So as a fully paid-up dog person, who has two cats, by the way, I even watch some of these dog training programs. Caesar Milan is a great favourite, who talks when he arrives at the household with a badly behaved dog about training the owners and rehabilitating the dog. So sometimes, even though we have laid down the rules for the dog to follow, these rules are misunderstood or just ignored. The dog grows up completely mystified, either ignores the rules or just plain rebels. One of the most effective ways of training a dog in their early stages is to get another dog to do it. Now, I don't mean that there are puppy training classes held every Thursday evening at a church hall presided over by a great Dane and a Dachshund. We have three dogs, a tiny buddy, a not-so-tiny, and a not-so-tiny Rocky. A cross between a Labrador and a Mastiff. His crossbreed is called a Mastador, and he tips the scale around nine stone. Although he is on a diet. <clears throat> so when um, Buddy arrived, Rocky really wasn't sure what to make of him. He was still too young to bark. His vocal cords didn't, hadn't developed, and Rocky sat on the sofa watching this tiny black bullet race around with an expression that I could relate to. Something like, 
This is tiring even to watch. My wife was concerned that Rocky might accidentally stand on Buddy, but I wasn't as worried, because whilst he's big and lumbering and a bit clumsy and a powerful tail with a mind of its own, underneath is a very caring dog. After a couple of weeks of us rechristening Buddy Nobody, Rocky decided that it was time to come down from the sofa and teach him. Not about electric cables and onions, but about being a dog and what's acceptable and what isn't. So Buddy tried to climb on top of Rocky and he stood up. And he played with his squeaky toy until the early hours and was met by a rather fed up growl. He tried to chew his paw and that got a bark. He hasn't done it again. And what's developed is quite a strong bond between this tiny puppy and this giant dog. Buddy really trusts Rocky. They play. He puts his head in Rocky's mouth. Buddy dives under the sofa. Rocky tries to find him. You may already be seeing the parallels. After the list of rules from Leviticus, the new covenant, when Jesus came down to earth, is an entirely different relationship with God. So, within Acts, Peter had a vision, which is documented there, which at a stroke says that anything which God has created can't, by definition, be unclean. Let's hear that. I think it's Lynn. Is, is it Lynn who's going to do this? Or? Yes. So the next reading is taken from Acts 10, 9 to 23, Peter's vision. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-faring man who is respected by all the Jewish people. 
a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Amen. So if you think about that, and I, I extended the, the reading just beyond um, you know, the sheet coming up, because what it illustrates is that Peter was really kind of um, struck by this vision, a vision which really overturned all of his understanding of what was clean and unclean. We, we heard that huge long list from Leviticus, and it was pretty clear apart from the sort of the anatomy bit, um, as to what you could and couldn't eat. And then suddenly, he sees this vision, and this, this uh, um, sheet comes down, and then suddenly, he's awoken, and God is instructing him to do something else. And he's still thinking about what is a major, major change um, for um, a, a for a Jew and for those who um, understood and adhered to Leviticus. So that relationship, relationship has changed with Jesus coming down to us. We don't have a rules-based relationship anymore, but one in which God is with us. The old covenant, which had all those rules, we know, was a legal agreement. We still even use that language when we talk about setting up a covenant, or we used to for giving regularly to the church. Don't worry, the church doesn't enforce it with bouncers. The new covenant is much more like my giant dog, Rocky and Buddy. There's no doubt about rules. Rocky can't tell. There's, no, there's not about rules. Rocky can't tell Buddy anything. But it's about love and by example. And he's quite literally come alongside this tiny dog. Not only is that an example of the way in which Jesus teaches us in the New Testament, a new command I give to you, which is what we sang just before the sermon, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But it's also a challenge to us all in pastoral care, in the wider world. That second verse, by everyone, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, is so important. Others knowing that we are Christians through that love for one another, not just by being able to recite chunks of the Bible or by coming to church on a Sunday morning. As a mega pastorate all of well almost all of Warrington yesterday we entered a new phase in our collective lives when we saw the ordination and induction of Jenny Travis into the perhaps unenviable role of the URC minister for Warrington perhaps we have historically relied on the minister to do some things and in some cases a large proportion of the pastoral care in church. That hasn't been the case whilst we haven't had a minister over the last couple of years. 
And it is important that we don't hit the reset button and say, oh, that's Jenny's job. Jenny can visit that person. If we're able, we all should. So I remind you of that verse again. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Pastoral care can be really hard. Illness and bereavement are particularly difficult. Sometimes the fact that you have taken the time means as much to the person as anything that you say. Over the summer, I had gallstones removed and then subsequently my gallbladder removed. I was in hospital for 10 days, having the stones removed and being treated for jaundice that flared up. The days are very, very long in hospital. And if you are at home, incapacitated. So any break is welcome. My advice, don't use the phrase, I know exactly how you feel. Because however similar your experiences, you're not that person. The other one is following a bereavement. It was a blessing, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, even though we now have a minister, I would urge you to buddy up. Amen.